So I'm going to start this episode off by saying that I'm aware of how unnecessary a recap of April probably is, given the fact that I put out episodes every single week where I talked about every album and EP and single I listened to. The reason a recap top 10 made sense for January, February, and March was because I wasn't doing that kind of shit for those months. But I was a fucking workhorse in April. If y'all have listened to those weekly episodes, then y'all already know which bands I fucked with. So the necessity for an episode like this is definitely minuscule. However, this was the concept that this podcast started with. Episode 1 was the top 10 artists of January episode, and so for that reason, I, I feel like I kinda have to keep this going as a tradition, just to stay true to the roots of this whole endeavor. And because I've already spoken about all of these incredible artists on prior episodes, maybe I can get through this quicker than I did the other months. So, I have three runner-ups, this time as opposed to just two, and that's because April was exceptionally packed, and I really want to give a spotlight to the artists who I think earned it. The first runner-up is Windrunner. Windrunner is on this list because a few weeks ago they put out a single called Cyan, and in my opinion, Cyan is one of the most genre-defining songs in metalcore thus far in the current decade. It, it, it is an absolutely incredible song, and the animated music video to go along with the single was of equal quality. The second runner-up is Red Hook, and that's because of their debut EP called Bad Decisions. I had not heard of Red Hook prior to this EP, but over the course of seven songs, they left as effective of an impression on me as any band could. I've gone back to this EP so many times since its release, and it's still just as enjoyable now as it was the first time I heard it. Alien has a claim to being one of the catchiest songs in the alternative genre I've listened to all year so far, and beyond just that one song, I think Red Hook did an exceptional job on this EP. The third runner-up is Poppy. She makes this list because she put on my personal favorite live stream set I've seen from any artist up to this point in the pandemic. She performed The Last Disagreement, which included All of I Disagree, her cover of All the Things She Said by Tattoo, Scary Mask from the Choke EP, and X, Play Destroy, and the title track from Am I a Girl. It was literally a journey through the last two and a half years of Poppy's career, and it was meant to signify the end of the I Disagree album cycle. Now Poppy moves forward into the future, and it's a future that hopefully includes putting Eat and Say Cheese on Spotify, because I'd really enjoy having those songs with me everywhere I go. Number 10, Two Feet. April marked the release of Two Feet's newest album, Max Mako is Dead, right? Or maybe it's pronounced Mako? I still don't actually know how to say that name, but I'm just saying Mako until I find out otherwise. Max Mako is Dead, right, was one of the more surprising albums of the month for myself, just because the two singles I had heard ahead of the album's release, Fire and Never Enough, they were good, I thought, 
But they didn't sell me on the idea that this could be a memorable record. What I ended up receiving with Max Mako is Dead Right was a near flawless album that showcases every bit of Two Feet's talent in as grandiose of a manner as possible. This album is littered with some of Alternative's most danceable and head-nodding moments of 2021. The vibes are never-ending on this fucking thing, and for me personally, this album established Two Feet as a prominent name among all of the artists who have been featured on Ulterior up to this point. Number 9. Royal Blood On April 30th, Royal Blood released their third album, Typhoons, and the episode where I review that album is actually not live yet, so this is my first time getting on this podcast to talk about Typhoons as a full album. I was very much so blown away by how much I liked this album. The prior two Royal Blood albums, I thought they were good, but not anything groundbreaking. So going into Typhoons, I, I thought it was going to be a similar case. But what happened was, I got to listen to what is not only my favorite Royal Blood album yet, but it is also inarguably the most different Royal Blood album ever released. This band made the transition from hard rock to pop rock, and not, not just pop rock, but it, it's pop rock with dance and disco influences infiltrating their sound at seemingly every turn. And this band was made better for that. I'll save the more intricate details for the actual review of Typhoons, but this album made it easy to slot Royal Blood somewhere onto this list for the best artists of April. Much like what I just said about Two Feet, Royal Blood found and perfected the dance factor that alternative music should be more capable of embracing when necessary. This shift in style paid off in such a big fashion for Royal Blood, and it caught me completely off guard. Number 8. Soft Cult Phoenix and Mercedes Arnhorn from the band Courage My Love tried their hand at a side project called Soft Cult. And, and this dives into grunge pop, and on their debut EP called Year of the Rat, I believe that they outshined anyone else in that specific sector of the scene. Despite only being five songs, Year of the Rat effectively utilized every single second of its 15 minutes and 57 second runtime. This EP flourishes in both its quiet and more aggressive moments, it feels like a throwback to the 90s while also sounding contemporary, and that's a credit to the masterful songwriting abilities of Phoenix and Mercedes, which didn't come as a surprise to me, because I already knew from Courage My Love just how talented both of them are. Young Forever, the fourth song from the EP, was one of my most listened to songs for April, and I don't see why it can't end up as one of my most listened to songs of the entire year. This EP is perfect, I think Soft Cult are perfect, and what happens with this project now is a mystery, but whether we see more activity from this band or Courage My Love, there's no reason for me to doubt Phoenix and Mercedes in any of their pursuits. Number 7, While She Sleeps. It can be argued that While She Sleeps' newest album, Sleep Society, was one of the most anticipated albums of 2021 in the metalcore genre. This is a band that has earned every bit of acclaim they've amassed throughout their tenure. Like, that 1.1 million listeners number on Spotify exists for a reason. 
And Sleep Society only reaffirmed why While She Sleeps are not only one of the most talented metalcore bands out there, but also one of the most respected. I don't believe that Sleep Society is a perfect album. I, I think it has one or two missteps in its execution. But even with that, it is as close to perfection as any record can possibly come. The singles like Sleep Society and You Are All You Need it really did set the stage for what would be coming, and then songs like No Defeat for the Brave and Call of the Void really hammered in just how important While She Sleeps are to the scene right now. And really, just how important they've been for a long time. I, I still go back to certain moments on this album daily, and again, it's not textbook perfect, but it's While She Sleeps, and that's perfect enough. Number 6. To the Grave. I can't fucking believe they made this list. They pulled some absolute fucking bullshit on their new album, Epilogue, that should have disqualified them. 19 songs, 11 of which are not new, they were on To The Grave's 2019 album, and of those 8 songs that are new, one of them is a cover of a My Chemical Romance song, The Ghost Of You. I had every reason to just not bother with this album, Yet, I did, and what I ended up with was one of my favorite deathcore albums of all time. Even with the faults I just mentioned, and, and really, they're not actually faults in the end. A every song on here hits, no matter how new or old they are. To the Grave proved over the course of 63 minutes that this band contains some of the best musicians in the world when it comes to their respective instruments. Every song feels like it has its own identity, which I think is considerably difficult for deathcore bands to achieve, yet To The Grave did it with fucking ease, and for as annoying as this album is, it is equally captivating and provided me with one of the coolest listening experiences I've ever had with a deathcore record. Number 5. Bellhaven. In my opinion, Bellhaven delivered the best EP in all of April. Time Changes Nothing lingers on the line of post-hardcore's prior sound, as well as the more contemporary style of post-hardcore that is more accessible to a larger audience in alternative music. Just because these songs are catchy does not mean they can't be heavy, and I say that with regard to both the instrumentation and lyrical subject matter. I said this in the actual review for the EP, but the song Hopeless, Empty, Lonely, Painful, it, 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 it tells an exceptional story from someone, in this case vocalist David Delaos, who is leaving himself in as vulnerable of a spot as any musician can when crafting their art. This EP is honest, it's uncomfortable, it makes me think about certain aspects of my own life and really, really examine where my head is at. Like, I hear these songs and I'm like, man, Brody needs a hug. And then I realize, fuck, I need a hug. Time Changes Nothing is one of the most thought-provoking releases I've heard in recent memory, and I've revisited so many times because, for as painful as it is to hear some of these lyrics, you just can't turn your attention away from a band who is doing everything right like Bellhaven. Number 4. Brockhampton It really felt like there was no time to prepare for the new Brockhampton album, Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine. Buzzcut released as a first single near the end of March, and then by April 9th, the album was in my Spotify library. 
What I just said about the honesty of Bellhaven also applies to Brockhampton, because the topics explored on Roadrunner are immensely personal to the members of this group. Like, Joba speaks on his father's suicide, and Kevin Abstract dives into his sexuality. The Light is one of the coolest two-part songs I've ever heard in my life. Count On Me, which was the second single, could be my favorite song any artist put out in April. I, I would have to really think about it, but I'm confident in its placement either near the top or directly on top. I feel about Roadrunner very similarly to Beauty and Death by Chase Atlantic, which dropped back in March and was the reason I gave Chase Atlantic the number one spot for that month's recap episode. This album has that cool factor in its instrumentation and, like, if you weren't paying attention to the lyrics, you would just be fucking vibing to how cool these songs sound. But once you listen to everything that's being said, it, it makes you sit back and just really intake the hardships and fucking heartbreak that is being explained to you as a listener. Roadrunner is so fucking good, and I seriously can't get enough of it. A and this band isn't done yet in 2021 because Kevin said on Twitter that there will be another album this year, and that one is meant to be Brockhampton's final album. But, you know, I, I don't really know if it is. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. We'll, we'll see. Number three, Hail the Sun. No way I would have predicted this at the start of April. If you asked me if I thought Hail the Sun would make this list, I, I wouldn't have said no, but I would have been like, I, I, I don't know how. And I say that because the singles leading up to Hail the Sun's album, New Age Filth, were very good, but didn't make me believe that the whole record would be something to consider for a spot on the list of my top artists for April, let alone top three. Especially given the fact that the day it dropped was so fucking stacked with incredible releases. You know, I just mentioned To the Grave and Bellhaven. Those were on the same day as New Age Filth. So I listened to this album all the way through, and my immediate thought was, I, I can't find anything wrong with it. So I listened to it again, expecting to suddenly turn against some of the songs, but that second listen only further cemented that initial thought about this album somehow being perfect. Hail the Sun was not a band that I viewed in such high regard before this record. I thought they were very good, and I enjoyed their last album. And to take it a step further, The Stranger in Our Pictures is one of my favorite songs of the last few years, but to get an entire album of songs I feel strongly about from Hell the Sun, the band just knocked the fucking wind out of me with this album and demanded their flowers. Slipped My Mind finished the month as one of my most played songs on Spotify, and that checks out because I really feel like I've listened to that song multiple times every day since this album came out. New Age Filth is a masterful collection of tracks, and I love every second I get to spend with it. So, normally, I would recap the list right before reaching number one, but for this particular episode, I'm gonna stop where I'm at and do the recap right now, and there is a reason for that, which I'll elaborate on in a bit. The runner-ups were Windrunner, Red Hook, and Poppy. Number 10, Two Feet. Number 9, Royal Blood. Number 8, 
soft coat. Number seven, while she sleeps. Number six, to the grave. Number five, Bellhaven. Number four, Brockhampton. Number three, Hail the Sun. There are two artists left on this list. A solo act and a band. I had so much fucking trouble figuring out who was number one. I, I think on any given day, this ordering could change. Both made immaculate cases for number one. And, and I did consider for a second possibly doing like a 1A and 1B type of scenario. But I think a top 10 list should stick to what its name suggests. So I needed to make a choice. And this is how I feel right now about 1 and 2. If I made this episode tomorrow, maybe it would be different. But again, this is just reflective of how I'm feeling at this moment. Number two, Lilith Czar. Sometimes you just want to fucking change your name and start everything over again. And that's kind of what Juliet Sims did in April because she put out Created from Filth and Dust under the name Lilith Czar. And it was with this persona that she delivered what is, in my opinion, the greatest work of her career up to this point. Created from Filth and Dust is a perfect record by every stretch of the phrase. From the two singles, King and Lola, I knew this album was going to be special, and then the rest of the album released, and I was still taken aback by just how much I appreciated it. The way the album opens with intro poem, which sounds like some fucking hologram giving a speech to an army, bleeds into Feed My Chaos, was one of the most memorable intros I've heard on a record so far this year. Like, even if I ended up not liking this album, I, I still would have had to acknowledge how cool the intro is. Even with some admittedly questionable decisions, like having two songs that she released under the name Juliet Sims a while back, or the Edge of Seventeen cover, everything still worked in unison in a way that it didn't need to. In my head, Feed My Chaos and Diamonds to Dust is pretty much the trio of songs that so many other artists in the scene would kill to have. Lilith Czar was a fucking monument for what was April on this platform, and she has every right to be number one. And again, on any other day, Maybe she is, but right now, there is one band who just ever so slightly jumped ahead of her. Number one, Holding Absence. I recorded an episode of this podcast where I looked back on the first quarter of 2021, and when talking about what was coming up in the second quarter, I said that it was hard to bet against Holding Absence. Although for a second, I feel like I actually did. And by that, I don't mean that I didn't think they were going to have a good album in The Greatest Mistake of My Life. Any dumbass could listen to this band for just a few seconds and predict that the album would be good. But here was my thing with the album rollout. I thought Beyond Belief, the first single from back in October, was the best song that the band ever released up to that point. Afterlife dropped in January, and it was also very good and, and got considerable attention. The third single, In Circles, was where I started to see this band 
differently than others did. Or, or so I thought at the time. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And that same notion applied to No More Roses, which was the unofficial fourth single. So when The Greatest Mistake of My Life dropped, I didn't know what would happen. I knew the album would be good, but would I be disappointed if I didn't think the album was perfect since that's what it was built up as by so many listeners? And ultimately, I'll never know what would have happened if I didn't think the album is perfect, because I do. The greatest mistake of my life delivered on every facet of the hype that holding absence have accumulated. What I just said about intro poem into Feed My Chaos on the Lilith Tsar album is also the story with Awake into Celebration Song on Holding Absence's album. Drugs and Love left a lasting impression on me, and it's quite possibly my favorite song this band has ever put out. I thought the singles I was hesitant toward made perfect sense in the context of the record and where they're placed on it. Holding Absence left me with no reason to doubt them, and I think for anyone who even so much as just dabbles in the alternative scene, The Greatest Mistake of My Life is a must-hear record. Because even if you don't take the time to listen to Holding Absence now, you eventually won't be able to evade them. And that's it. Those are my top 10 artists of April 2021. And again, maybe this episode was unnecessary. But I'm fine with just making monthly recaps a tradition, even in the age of weekly episodes on this platform. I, I, I do want to quickly say thanks to everyone who listened to an episode in April, or interacted with the Twitter and Instagram accounts for Ulterior. Doing weekly episodes was a risk in the sense that I didn't know what the correlation would be between the hours I put into producing content and how much people actually give a shit about what I'm doing. The audience is small right now. But I want to believe that if I just remain consistent, this could be something big one day. I just can't let myself get discouraged, which I know is going to be a challenge sooner or later. And when I inevitably enter another depressive episode, what is that going to do to my productivity? I have an idea of what that'll be like, but I'm not trying to think about that right now. I just want to take this whole platform step by step, one day at a time, because that's what I've done so far, and I think it's worked. But anyway, I'll stop rambling now before I overthink stuff. Thank you for listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.